The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Ever need a little bit of you time, but don't want to be alone? Go over to AdamMail.com and use our promo code AMPOD to get 25% off your order plus free shipping. AdamMail's mission is to provide sex-positive information and the best adult toys and videos from around the globe. Type in AdamMail.com and use our code AMPOD. Same ground, different sound. You're on homo ground. This is Scantron with episode 220. This is Lauren Ross from La Luma, and you are listening to Homo Ground.
Growing up as a musician, playing a ton of instruments, I was the biggest nerd. I played flute in the orchestra and bassoon in the sonic band and piccolo in the marching band and sax in the jazz band. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Like my whole life revolved around music. I started out at the University of Miami and then transferred up to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And bassoon was my principal instrument at that time. But it had the negative side effect of really hurting my hands. The reach on a bassoon, like what you have to do, especially with your pinkies and thumbs, is just kind of like unnatural. <laughs> Playing bassoon for like hours and hours every day, year after year, and carrying the bassoon all around Boston. Those are some of the things that I give the most credit for wearing my hands out to a point where I had trouble opposing my thumbs, just like in general. That didn't just affect like being able to play music, that affected turning doorknobs and everything. So playing became like increasingly difficult. And then by the time I was starting to graduate, like I like barely got through the final performance that I had to do. Before graduating, I had interned at Cal Rockstars. Because I like loved Slater Kitty and Deerhoof and the gossip. It was actually hanging out with the gossip one time that like got me extra interested in the Olympia Washington scene and Kill Rock Stars in particular. Like I had interned for Kill Rock Stars and then came back and started managing my friend Annie Clark, who became St. Vincent. It was like we were friends before I did the KRS thing, and then when I came back from that feeling like I then like knew so much about the music industry just from that semester long internship. I was like totally like weird to go and we were like, we got this and like ran with it. I did get to play on her first record, which was rad. So like I played flute, clarinet, bassoon, French horn and trumpet on that one. And then pretty shortly thereafter kind of had to just stop playing, period. I was very fortunate that two weeks before graduation or something, I got a call from Portia Sabin, Slim Moon's wife, asking me if I would come back out to Olympia and work full-time at Colorado Stars as Slim's assistant. Obviously, I said yes immediately. So that's like kind of how things fairly suddenly shifted from being the musician and performer to then being on the industry side of things. So that just kind of then carried on for the next like eight years. <laughs> I very rarely would even try to play, but anytime I would, like I would feel it right away and it's like, okay, cool. I still can't play. It really, 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 really sucked. I was at a silent meditation retreat. The theme of the retreat was lost, which I didn't even realize until I got there. And it was during that retreat that I had this massive epiphany about how that loss had affected me. The loss of having that outlet of playing and the loss of that identity. As painful as that was, it was like kind of one of the most important moments for me because that kind of ended up being the catalyst for me to begin shifting things to like, how can I somehow become a musician again? There was this opportunity where people could like speak and share something. And so I ended up sharing about the loss of hand dexterity and like hand strength and how that had affected me as a musician. And, but, you know, it's a silent retreat. So, like, aside from, like, being able to say that one thing, like, you can't, like, talk to each other. And so as soon as the retreat ended, this girl comes running up to me and she's like, I know a great physical therapist. Because <laughs> she has, like, clearly been, like, dying to tell me. <laughs> and so then, like, I got back into the city and started seeing the physical and occupational therapist. I was determined to play again. <laughs> Just wanna love you. I just wanna love you. 
I had written Tin Roof Now based on this experience that I was having interacting with my great aunt. The lyrics kind of go in between me kind of narrating from my perspective and where I was in the situation. And then half the lyrics are then from her point of view and what she's thinking. My great uncle was unfortunately in hospice and on his deathbed essentially. And so I went down to visit him and to be there for her. And we were driving through this epic rainstorm and just having the time of our lives because we were like, oh, you love totally terrifying rainstorms too? Awesome. <laughs> and so, you know, it's this point of bonding between us. And she saying, like, referring to her and her husband, something that she always wanted to do is to go up to the Great Smoky Mountains and rent a cabin out there and just lay there in a rainstorm and listen to the sound of the rain on the tin roof of the cabin just such a beautiful image and then seeing her just kind of calmly acknowledge that like that will never happen her husband is about to pass away like that very simple desire that she had will never happen and so I was just struck by that and then that night at her house I was laying in the bedroom adjacent to hers and just taking in everything around me like in the room the sounds outside what I was thinking that she was thinking what I was thinking about what I was thinking. <laughs> and all of it just came at once. And I pulled the covers over my head, hit record on the voice memo of my phone, and just started quietly singing. And the melody and the lyrics in the final version of the song are nearly exactly what I had initially quietly sang into the phone that same night. Like, it just all came out basically intact. And then as soon as I got home, I recorded it. And within a day and a half, I had recorded everything, like all the instrumental parts and everything. It was just all there. That was a really magical experience that led to writing the song. It was then a magical experience having the song practically feel written for me. And my job was simply to like capture it. It was really amazing. So my friend Diane Russo came to me with this idea for a video for Tin Roof Now, and she wanted it to take place in the South and to feature this badass woman, like, going through on this journey to find herself and her community and everything. And naturally, I related very strongly to that. Someone who grew up in the South seeking to find myself and my community, too. Like, that's so in line with my existence. We went down to Tennessee and shot in some of the most beautiful places I've ever, ever been incredible waterfalls this like secret cave that was in this completely unmarked place and you just had to like climb up this treacherous treacherous hill in the rain to get to it it was so fun
when I had finished the La Luma record and was thinking about how I wanted to release it and who I wanted to put it out, like friends were asking me like, what labels was I interested in? And I really struggled to think of anyone who I truly was just like, yes, I want you to have this record. <laughs> so it just felt right to want to do it myself. And it felt even more right to have it be a do-it-ourselves situation by teaming up with Tara, who's one of my best friends, and start this wave. We started it to be this label to put out La Luma stuff and maybe to put out some Tara stuff. By natural identity of us, that then kind of just led to it being like, oh, this is a queer women's label. It kind of immediately started developing and morphing and changing the instant we started. And that's largely been in response to the name Bitch Wave. Like people have been so like, excited by whatever the hell that is that like we've had people be interested in it, like without having any knowledge that we founded it as a record label. It's kind of already now been morphing. We're just like, why be a record label when it could be just a culture? Like, that sounds more exciting. That concept of creating the world that you want to live in, applying that to everything, like, surround yourself with the people you want to be surrounded by, create the record label that you wish you were on, start the company that you wish you worked at. You know your shit, like, so just go for it and, like, teach everyone else so that we can all develop and grow together because wouldn't that be awesome there's this empowerment and excitement that comes from that mentality and that feeling that i can do this and so i'm going to do this i know what i want and that's what i'm doing a theme in my life lately has been the eradication of fear it's been a theme in my life and also just the greatest pursuit of my life of late because fear is just the root of basically everything negative and everything bad <laughs> at all if you can eliminate it or at least greatly whittle it down <laughs> and disable it, you can do anything. One of the biggest things for overcoming fear is generally looking at what it is that I'm fearing and recognizing that whatever it is, I'm probably completely making it up. That there isn't truth in it. Not succumbing to it, but rather arguing with it and being like, okay, well, why? Why am I fearful about this? What specific aspects? my fearful of and just break it down to the tiniest things and then you realize whatever the cause is and I, I don't necessarily mean like oh when I was a kid such and such happened I mean more like okay like with the La Luma record the fear of releasing music into the world like I, I've never done that before even though I've worked with like hundreds and hundreds of artists and I'm around all of that all the time I had never done it myself and so that was scary but then I had the question like okay, why? Why is that scary? If you're like, oh, well, because then I'm so vulnerable. Like, I'm really, like, putting myself out there. Like, okay, but why Why is that scary? I had this feeling that, like, coming from the industry side, I was like, oh, well, no one's going to take this seriously because I'm just an industry person. No one's going to see me as an actual artist. Like, that was totally in my head. And, like, I was dismissing my own music before even giving anyone else a chance to dismiss it for me. Playing the show the other week, I was just so excited the whole time because I knew that if I was going to start thinking about it too much, I would get emotional like about how much I had gone through to get to that point. But the, the one thing that someone said to me was when an artist who I've known for years came up to me and she had tears in her eyes and was just saying the whole time you were up there, I just kept thinking about how much you've done for so many other artists over the years. And now you're finally doing it for yourself. And 
that that got me. enjoyed hearing from Lauren Ross of La Luma about her journey to where she is today. The songs that you heard on this episode in order are The Decline of Nations, Just Wanna Love You, Tin Roof Now, and Hear Me Out. They're all songs off of La Luma's debut album, Let the World Be Flooded Out, which is out now on Bitch Wave. You can head over to laluma.com or bitchwave.com for more information. Before moving to LA, Lauren was based in Brooklyn, and she was actually on one of the very first panels that I moderated in New York City about women working in the music industry. And I had always known Lauren as an industry person, so it was really cool to find out that she's also this musical genius who played everything on her album, produced and mixed it all herself. It blows my mind. During our conversation for this episode, we talked for over an hour, but in this episode, you probably heard only a third of what we actually talked about. But if you're interested in hearing the full conversation that I had with Lauren for this interview, head over to our Patreon and just donate a dollar. That's all it takes, and you get access to a bunch of cool perks. So if you're interested in hearing more about Lauren's mobile setup of how she traveled from coast to coast and fit all her musical instruments in her carry-on luggage, Go check it out, homoground.com slash Patreon. 
Speaking of Patreon, thanks to our supporters, Catherine the Gay, Katie Sparrow, Ashley E., Michael Bacon, and Willard J. It's so cool getting to know the people who listen to the podcast that live in places all over the world and hearing about the projects that they're doing. Like, Michael Bacon has this really cool magazine project called Mixtape.LGBT, and that's the website too if you want to check it out, Mixtape.LGBT. It's basically a digital arts and music zine, and they're currently looking for submissions. Their goal is to build an exclusive, respect-centered space where LGBTQ voices can be heard. Check out their website and find out what they're looking for and how you can get involved at mixtape.lgbt. If you're listening to this podcast on the Acast app, remember that at any time during this episode, you can just look at the app and click on a link and it'll take you to whatever's relevant about what's going on in the episode. If you're listening to Homo Ground right now on iTunes, look at the app and tap the five stars and leave us a little review. Um, it really helps. It really does. I know it's so annoying when people that have podcasts are like, oh, leave me a review, blah, blah, blah. But it really helps. And if you made it this far into the episode, congratulations, you get stickers. Just tweet at us and tell us who is the mega superstar that Lauren Ross worked with and name dropped in this episode. And don't forget to tag her. Let's see if she retweets it. Let's get her to retweet it. You know who I'm talking about. Come on. All right. So that's the homo bonus for this episode. And of course, we're on all those social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. Yeah, check out our YouTube channel. We got some cool music videos up there. Actually, the song Tin Roof Now, which Lauren talked about in this episode, you can watch the music video on Homo Ground's YouTube channel, or you can just go to La Luma's website and watch it there. And for everything you need to know about this episode, go to homoground.com slash episode 220. This episode of Homo Ground was hosted and produced by me, Scantron, aka Lynn Casper, with editorial help from Aaron McGregor of the Queer Public Podcast. The theme song at the top of the show and the song you're listening to right now, Catastrophe, was composed by Data Data Data.